So we'll continue today with our metta practice, taking this time out of the day to work on cultivating a climate of kindness and gentleness in the heart, which by this point in the retreat, we can all really appreciate the value of, the importance of, for facing all of the difficult things that come our way. And this is really a very holistic process, which it might not be obvious at first, because we approach it in this very specific way, this very particular way of choosing particular individuals, very specific beings, directing our good wishes towards them. So it can seem like it's a very kind of targeted, focused sort of meditation. But in fact, this meditation goes far beyond those specific beings that we choose to consider in it. it goes, its reach is far beyond that. Uh, metta and the other wholesome emotions that Kamala mentioned yesterday are sometimes called illimitables, which is a bit of a mouthful, but in the sense that their range is not limited, their scope is not limited. They can reach throughout the world to touch every being and every experience very much like irritation, which is an experience we're usually more familiar with, the mental state that's usually more familiar to us. You know how it is when, you know, you're just having a bad day, you know, you're just in that mood. Irritation is just kind of the climate that's in the mind, and kind of whoever comes along is going to be the recipient of it. It may be your dearest friend, it may be your delightful child, You know, whoever comes along is just kind of going to fall within that force field of the irritation or whatever comes along, you know, suddenly finding the keys at the bottom of your purse is, you know, this this big deal because that mood of irritation is there. So it's the same with metta. You know, we use these specific beings to kind of arouse the, the climate, the mood, the mental state of metta. But then there's no limit to the beings, the experiences that it will fall upon. You know, in just the same way, if that climate of metta is present, then it's going to affect how we relate to the people around us. It's going to affect how we relate to our back pain. It's going to affect how we relate to our thoughts. It's going to fall on whatever comes within its force field. So we start from the specific and use that as the launching pad, the platform to the general, to the universal to the unconditional. So it makes a big difference how we go about this practice. How we go about it is actually more important than the results that we get from it. So we want to proceed with as much kindness and as much gentleness as we go along as possible. We never want to try to force or push the heart into anything. You know, the heart's not very receptive to being strong-armed. It needs to, to move along in its own time, in its own rhythm. So it's really this process almost of wooing the heart. You know, we want to show up uh, in this meditation with arm, an armload of flowers and chocolates, you know, trying to kind of sweet-talk the heart, to cajole it into this beautiful mental state of kindness and gentleness. So our goal is not to kind of produce a feeling of loving kindness, you know, at any cost, come what may, you know, it's got to be now. But really just to create supportive conditions 
in which the things that are impediments for us, the things that are barriers to that feeling of love, can kind of percolate up to the, to the surface, kind of rise to the top, and then disperse. And then our natural capacity for kindness and for caring, uh, which is really innate, which is really there just under the surface for all of us, once the impediments to it are cleared away, then that can just naturally shine forth and come out of us and be expressed. And as this process proceeds, it may be that what we encounter is something very different from loving kindness at many points along the way. So it may be that what arises for us is some form of aversion. You know, we're sitting trying to cultivate a feeling of loving kindness, repeating these phrases, expressing thoughts of caring and uh, good wishes for this being. And all that we're feeling is just irritation or maybe worse, you know, maybe really extreme anger, frustration, either with that particular individual or with the process itself, with ourselves. Um, all sorts of different forms of, of irritation, aggravation, frustration with this process can arise. And that's perfectly normal. All of those forms of aversion are what we call the far enemy, the enemy that's far away from metta. It's the, the mental states that are very distant from metta that keep us from being able to access it. It may be that what comes up for us as we do this practice is just indifference or numbness. You know, it doesn't give rise to any particular feeling. You know, we don't get particularly irritated with it. We're not filled with uh, joyful, loving feelings either. We're just kind of there. We're just kind of doing it, just kind of going through the motions. And that's also perfectly fine. That's also part of this process. And maybe that what comes up for us at first appears to be feeling of kindness or gentleness or love. But it may be that it's actually more on the side of sentimentality, kind of the hallmark card form of loving kindness. You know, where after a while, maybe we start to sense that there's a cloying aspect to it, the kind of a syrupy quality to it. You know, it's too much. It can feel almost exhausting, like it's draining the heart. That's a kind of a hint that uh, we're, we're veering into sentimentality. And that side of things is called the, the near enemy of metta because it's very close to loving kindness. It's a very close neighbor. You know, it's like it's almost there, but not quite. There's still a lot of attachment, a lot of craving wrapped up into it. It's like we're forcing it too much. We're trying too hard. So there's a mindfulness component to this practice of loving kindness. We can think of it as very different from the awareness practice that we're doing at other times. And the form of it is different on the surface. But there's this whole aspect of staying sensitive to what's actually arising in the heart, making space for it, allowing it, and including that in what is being known as we go through the process. This practice is sometimes called purification of the heart in the sense that it's sort of a process of elimination. It's like we have to purify out everything that's not loving kindness before we can finally figure out what is loving kindness. We have to explore all the other options before we finally get down to the essence of what it is that we're trying to cultivate. So let's go ahead and delve into the meditation again. So getting as comfortable as you can, 
again, this is meant to be done in the easiest possible way, the path of least resistance. So if you already have a particular metta subject, particular metta phrases, you know, if you already have your, your root in to the heart mapped out, you have a system that you've found works well for you, then go ahead and just go for it. You know, there's no need to um, follow, around, follow along necessarily with the um, instructions that are be- being given if you already have your technique set. Um, on the other hand, you might want to just keep one ear open you know, for new ideas. And at any point, if it feels like it's moving too quickly, it's fine to just stay where you are. Um, the pacing of this process is very individual. So some people like to move through it more quickly, some people more slowly. Um, each of our hearts has its own unique rhythm. So to honor that, to honor your process, and to give your heart whatever it feels like are those flowers and chocolates. So beginning from a place just of presence, letting all the words settle down a bit. Coming into the body. Letting the attention rest particularly on the area around the heart center, which is the physical center of emotion for many of us. And sensing the vitality there around the internal organs. the movement of the breath, maybe the pulse, if that's apparent. Even movement within the digestive tract, if that's something that is noticeable. Getting a sense of that life that's within us. that we're here, alive for this moment. Seeing if we can see ourselves, perhaps, as somebody who loves us does. Maybe as a parent or other relative might have seen us as a small child. Or as a dear friend or partner sees us now. How valued we are to them, how precious we are to them.
Can we look on ourselves in that own light? A dear friend, our most intimate companion in this life, the person for whom we have the greatest responsibility and also the greatest influence for good. Each of us holding in our hearts the perfectly natural, perfectly healthy, entirely deserved and valid wish for happiness. And seeing how you might articulate that wish for yourself. Seeing if you can connect with it. I do want to be happy. I do long for peace and contentment. Seeing if you can feel that wish in the heart center, the warmth of it, the beauty of it, the wish for happiness, the longing for well-being, on the deepest, most fundamental level, the way we might have felt it as a seven-year-old child. The wish to be held by life, to be surrounded by love, to feel safe and secure. To be able to express the exuberance and the joy of our gifts in this life. Can we own that wholesome longing? Can we give it our complete respect and validation that it's entirely healthy and natural? It's not a selfish thing. It's not personal, really. It just comes with being alive here. Can we feel the heart glow with that wish? And out of that sense of connection with that wholesome longing Can we find it in our hearts to wish ourselves well? May it be so. May we experience the safety and security that we long for. May we know the peace of mind, the contentment, the happiness that we all desire. 
may we be able to be at ease in our bodies, just as they are. May we be able to meet our needs and to provide for ourselves and for the others that rely on us with joy and in comfort. Continuing to offer yourself your own good wishes using those phrases that resonate with your heart. Or if you found it easier to relate to a benefactor, someone who's been kind and generous to you, or another being, using whatever person or being is your easiest in to that sense of caring, Offering the phrases, understanding what it is that we're saying, what our meaning is, what our intention is. And then allowing time to listen to the heart, to hear what it reflects back to us after we drop in that phrase.
If you feel that the time is right, you might bring another being to mind. The benefactor, if you've been working with yourself, or maybe yourself, if you've been working with the benefactor. Just gently redirecting the mind to another being, offering them these same good wishes, because the fundamental wish of the heart is really the same for all of us. So we can offer these same basic wishes unconditionally. Or if it feels like the time's not right, then just staying wherever you are, with whatever feels most supportive.
And if you feel ready to move on to another individual, then you can bring to mind the dear one, the dear being in this world, a good friend or family member, maybe a pet or a child. Any being that is beloved, that your heart opens naturally to with kindness. Maybe not a being with whom we have the most complicated relationship, but someone who we just really feel a natural outflow of kindness and caring towards affection. Offering them these same wishes for well-being. Offering the same quality of goodwill May you be safe and protected. May you be at ease and content in your body. May you enjoy happiness and peace of mind. May you be able to live in this world with ease and comfort.
checking in with the heart now, just to notice how it is. How does it feel at this point in the process? What kinds of emotions are circulating around? What's the climate in the heart? And just honoring whatever we might find there. Whatever has arisen has arisen due to causes and conditions. In this practice, just as in the awareness practice, there's no wrong answer. There's nothing that can arise that shouldn't arise. It's all part of the process. And if we do notice that there's some spark of something that feels like kindness, or just simply gentleness, openness, softness, can we allow that feeling to spread a bit? Maybe out from the heart center. Just allowing the glow of it to permeate us as far as it feels inclined. Can it reach from the heart center down through the belly into the bowels, down through the legs, into the toes? Or maybe it can spread upwards through the upper chest and the neck, up to the head, to the very top of the head. Out through the shoulders and the arms, into the hands and the fingertips. So just allowing any sense of softness, gentleness is there to pervade as much of our being as it wants to, giving it free reign. We might even notice a glow, a sense of glowing that comes with it, that spreads out with the feeling. That warmth that comes from the heart. And if so, can we let it spread even beyond ourselves, radiating out towards those around us, these fellow beings so close to us that share the same deep wish for happiness.
The particulars are all different for each of us. But at the deepest level, it's the same. Can we extend that sense of wishing well and caring out to those around us? And as far as it feels comfortable and happy to do so, out through the room, out through the fields and the forests beyond us. Out further through the cities and the countryside, across the oceans, across the continents. Maybe even to encompass all of the life on this planet all the life in this universe. Pervading it with the glow of our care, our gentleness. And if that doesn't come for us right now, then can we connect with an aspiration in our heart? May the heart gradually open in its own time. May we cultivate a greater capacity for caring and for kindness. May that spark that's in our heart grow brighter and stronger so that we can be a refuge for those around us and a source of goodness in this world. May we be free from suffering. And may all beings everywhere be free from suffering. I know there's a few of you that are, that are new to this practice or may still be getting used to it, so we could take a few questions again today if um, anyone has questions about the metta practice. Oh, yes. 
Oh, the phrases. Um, traditionally, there's four. The first one being some form of the wish for safety and security. The second one being some form of the wish for physical well-being or ease in the body. The third one being the wish for mental well-being, peace and happiness in the mind. And the fourth one being the wish for uh, what we might call prosperity or comfort, the ability to kind of meet our basic needs and take care of ourselves in the world. So those are kind of the four universal wishes. And they're great because they're, um, they can apply equally well, um, say, to a bug. <laughs> you know, you can wish those things for a ladybug and be pretty certain that those are all things that she'd like to have. Um, and you can also wish those things, say, you know, at the other end of the evolutionary spectrum, like for the Dalai Lama, you know, and be pretty sure that those are also things that he'd like to have. Um, so those are the traditional phrases, and this is an area where um, it's not only uh, okay, but it's actually encouraged to be creative. So really to come up with language that feels true, that feels moving for you, to put it into your own words. And it's also fine to come up with other wishes. You know, if you, can if you can find ones that meet those criteria of being really universally applicable, you know, like Kamala was saying yesterday, um, sometimes we can get a little too specific in our wishes, you know, especially for people that uh, we kind of have a vested interest in in our lives. So you can do that kind of um, sanity check, you know, if you, can, if you can say it to a ladybug and you could also say it to the Dalai Lama and it's equally applicable, then it, you're, you're good to go. You're free to, to choose whatever wishes and phrasing works for you. And maybe we'll post them for, for those of you that aren't, that are new to this practice and are still trying to just kind of memorize what the wishes are. Yes. Um, do, do you ever weave metta into your awareness practice? So weaving metta into the awareness practice is a very traditional thing to do. <laughs> The traditional use of this practice is as um, laying the foundation for the awareness practice. So um, either doing it first thing in the morning to kind of set the stage to create that nice uh, open climate for then the hard work of the day or um, also a lot of people might use it just for a couple of minutes at the beginning of a sitting when we first sit down, especially if we're in kind of a tight place we could just do maybe a few repetitions of the phrases to try to, to get us a little bit in touch with ourselves, to um, cut ourselves a little slack kind of right from the get-go and um, give ourselves just a little infusion of, of caring and kindness to, to launch us on the, the awareness practice. Um, also, is Steve doing the metta at the end of the day in the last sitting? No, okay. That's another traditional use for it um, is at the end of the day to kind of clear out the circuits, you know, to kind of clean out all the, the gunk that might have accumulated during the day to help us to rest easily. Um, and it's also a lovely practice to take with us when we leave here um, to help with sleep or just any time that we feel like we need to relax and reconnect. Yeah, so there's different ways that it can be used. And that's a good thing to bring up in, like, in the interview groups, you know, if there's a particular time when you feel it might be useful or you're not quite sure. Um, to talk a little bit more about the specifics of what's going on with you right now, and then uh, we can give you a little bit more uh, individual guidance on that. Yes, something else? So, so far, um, 
we, there's, a, there's this classical progression to, to who you direct the phrases to. And traditionally, it would be ourselves first, the um, idea being that we're the most important person in the world to ourselves. So we ought to be the easiest ones to wish good things for. Um, but here in the West, that's not always the case. You know, a lot of us um, have interference that gets in, in the way of that. Um, so then the second person traditionally is a benefactor, what's called a benefactor, which is somebody that has been kind and generous to us, somebody that's helped us. The thinking being that that's normally the next easiest person to generate good wishes for. You know, when somebody's really been kind and generous to us, then it's usually pretty easy to um, think of them with, with warmth, with kindness. It's usually pretty easy to generate a feeling of, of goodwill towards them. And then the third uh, one that we've gotten to now is a dear friend, somebody that we feel kind of a more conventional affection to. Um, but again, it, it can be, uh, it's usually best, at least in the beginning, to choose someone that we don't have too complex of a relationship, you know. So it may not be our very best friend, you know, or somebody that we have kind of a long, complicated history with, but somebody that there's just a very easy uh, kind of outflowing of affection, somebody that we like, you know, in a kind of a very ordinary sense. So that's what we've covered so far, and then we'll, we'll get into more later. Yes, in the back. That's a good question, yeah. What about people that have, pa that have passed on, that are no longer in this life? Traditionally, we wouldn't include them in this practice. There are other practices, um, especially the sharing of merit. So, um, you know, after a period of practice, after a sitting, or maybe a period of doing metta like this, or at the end of the day, it's traditional to offer whatever benefits might have come from our practice, to share that with beings that have passed on in whatever realms they might be, wherever they might be. And the thinking is that once beings have left this life and we're not really sure where they are, it's kind of like it's not, there's not enough there for us to really get a handle on. Like we don't really, you know, it's not specific enough. We don't really know where they might be or what form they might be in or what their circumstances might be. So, um, you know, it's not that we don't want to wish them well. It's just that it's a little harder for the mind to connect with. Um, but that's something that we're not, hard and fast about, you know. So if, if that feels what, like what opens the heart the most, then um, it's fine to experiment with that. It might also, it's also, um, there can be a tendency with someone who's passed on for the, the practice to veer a little bit, bit in the direction of grief, depending on circumstances again. So just some things to consider in, in working that way. Yeah. Okay, well I think that's good for today. And you have uh, the rest of the afternoon and the evening to devote to your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.